right? Have you ever flown before? Have you flown before? All right, if you've flown, have you ever heard the pilot say something like this? Buckle up, we're in for some turbulent weather. How many of you have ever heard something like that? Hopefully this isn't too turbulent, but it could be. Anytime you open God's word, the Bible says it's like a, a two-edged sword. The word of God can convict, and it should convict us. Unless you're under Joel Olstein, he'll never say anything that'll offend you. That's a joke. Come on, guys. I mean, you can laugh there. Laugh really hard, you know? There you go. <laughs> All right, Galatians 5. Somebody's with me this morning. Remember, this, the faster you listen, the sooner we can get out of here. It's, whether, if I take long, it's your fault. All right? Uh, so Galatians 5, 16 through 23, we have it up there for you, or you can have it in your Bible. Follow along. I want to read this entire passage just so we have the scene, the setting for the very last of our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to be looking in a a moment at self-control. But notice what the Bible says here. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Now notice these words very carefully. You will not gratify, say the next words with me, the desires. The desires of the flesh. The desires. We're going to be talking about this here in a little bit. For notice, for the desires, some version might use the word lust. It's the same thing. For the desires of the lust of the flesh, they're against the spirit. So there's this battle going on. And the desires of the spirit, they're against the flesh. There's this war that's taking place in every single one of us, every believer, every follower of Christ. He says, for they are opposed to each other, polar opposites, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, here's the key. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, what are the works of the manifestation of the flesh? Here's what they are, that those desires. He says, if you give in to those desires, they're evident. And here's what they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. He says, I warn you, as I have warned you before, he says, I've already warned you once, now I'm warning you again, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, here's the contrary, but the opposite, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. Joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness or meekness. We studied meekness, gentleness last week. Remember, meekness is not what? Weakness. Say it again. Meekness is not weakness. So meekness is what we said was strength under control. And that's primarily in how we respond to one another. Okay? And how we respond in our relationships. How we respond to other people. Even when people maybe do not treat us the way we want to be treated, there needs to be meekness, he says. Strength under control. Now notice this morning, we're going to look at this one, self-control. He says, against such things there is no law. Would you pray with me? And we'll jump right into the word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move and work in our hearts and our lives. We thank you, Lord, that 
Lord Jesus, that when you left, you said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you. But I am sending one even greater than I, the Holy Spirit. And he will be with you and he will be in you. And he will comfort you and he will guide and lead you into all truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower us to live lives, Lord, that demonstrate who you are and your work in us. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would not quench you and that we would not grieve you. And I pray that we would see that this is so vital and so very important in the life of a Christian. That if we are in submission to the Holy Spirit, that we will be a testimony, we will be a witness, that it will be evident that we have the Holy Spirit by the demonstration of self-control in our lives. That we would be temperate. That there would be temperance and self-control and that we would not be those who live a life that is out of control, but under your control. So bless your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. The definition of self-control is something like this, or the word temperance. Both words are very similar words. In some versions, as you're reading, it might have said the word temperance. Or you get the word self-control. Both the same word. It means this, a virtue that moderates a person's passions and desires. Some other words that were used, restraining, curbing, the word abstinence. Some older words, temperance, chastity, purity. These are all some words that we would use for self-control. This virtue that moderates a person's passions and desires. Another word that might, you might come up with is, I would think of as like, it, it, it governs us. Maybe the best illustration I can use in this idea of governing us is uh, a number of years back when we were in a moving truck and we were moving numerous times, moved from place to place. And what I really hate in those moving trucks is they'll put a governor in them. How many of you know what a governor is? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Curse those things, let me tell you. And so I remember, you know, maybe the first time I ever used one, I had a governor's way back when I lived on the East Coast. And we were moving from, from the eastern part of Pennsylvania all the way to Salem, Oregon, which is about as far as you can go. And I was like, I want to make good time on this trip. And I got this truck, and in this truck it had a governor on it. So my wife and I, we loaded everything up. We're in that truck. And, you know, when you're in the East Coast, the speed limit isn't very high. It's like 55, sometimes 60. The state of Pennsylvania, you drive for three days and you never get through it. <laughs> How many of you have ever driven in Pennsylvania? And the speed limit, oh, a number of you have. And you know what I'm speaking is truth. You get on these highways, the speed limit's like, back then it used to be 55. I think they raised it like 60. I don't even think it's 65 yet. I don't know. 60 maybe, you know, and you get on there and you're just crawling and you want to go faster. So those trucks on the East Coast were set for kind of East Coast speeds. And I remember as I was getting farther west, I was looking, I'm like, oh, I love it out here. This is amazing. 75, even 80 miles an hour. Hallelujah. And so I put the pedal to the metal. And that truck wouldn't go over 65 miles an hour. And I remember, I, and, and, and have you ever noticed, you think if you push harder and you like cramp, 
that somehow it's going to go faster? How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? You know, you do it. You're like, and I'm like, after like two hours, my legs cramp. I'm like, it doesn't change anything. I pushed it so hard, you know, and it didn't work. And you're sitting there and you're pushing that gas and you know this thing has a lot more in it. It can do a whole lot more than this, you know. And you're, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. And that governor will not let it. And then you get going down the hill and you're trying to go faster down the hill, you know. But it's governed. Can't get this thing, even though it's capable of doing much more, you can't get it to do any more. How many of you ever been on the little go-kart? Did you go go-kart racing? How many of you ever done that? And they have those governors on those things. And somehow there's always that one or two guys. I don't know how they do it, but I had friends who knew a little bit about mechanics. They would reach back. When we would go, anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you are cheaters. Some of you have done it. All right? And so we'd get out there driving, and all of a sudden they'd reach back. Now, I don't know. I tried to figure out. I'm not a mechanic, okay? If you can't fix it with a butter knife and duct tape and a lot of prayer, then we're in trouble, okay? That's just facts. And they would reach back, and they would pull something, and they're basically releasing that governor or doing something with the throttle. And they're going like four or five miles an hour faster. Now, on the go-kart, that's a lot, you know? And they're, like, blowing by us, and they're just laughing us. And I was, like, so frustrated. I'm, again, pushing that pedal as hard as I can, you know? And it won't go any faster. And I'm like, I know this car can go faster because that guy's laughing me right now. And I remember they'd be reaching back there, and they'd be pulling. They'd be cheating it, you know? be cheating. And they were messing with that governor, messing with the idol so they could go faster, now you say, well, why are you talking about go-karts and governors on, on cars? Because I'm the one preaching. So when you're preaching, you do it your way. But that's why, all right? The Holy Spirit has the ability within our lives to govern us, to restrain us, and to con- keep us under control. This word self-control or temperate. Now, in the scripture here, we read kind of a long passage of scripture, but I want you to get this idea of what the scripture is teaching here. Because there are these desires that our flesh has. We have desires, passions. Some way you might look at it is lust, things that we lust after. And the Bible gives us the opposite as we read earlier. And there's some, some, some words that are the opposite. He says, hey, when you're not living governed by the Spirit, we'll highlight some of them, but he mentions sexual immoralities. He mentions sensuality. He mentions drunkenness. He mentions orgies and things of the such. And he says, and even beyond that. What he's saying is on the contrary, and, he, and even as you read the scriptures, Paul says at one time you maybe lived that type of life, but now that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in, the Holy Spirit brings transformation and brings change. And with that spirit that comes inside of us, it gives us the ability to overcome these things. It gives us the ability to, to govern our passions and our lusts and our sinful desires that our flesh still craves. James 1.15, we won't turn there, but it, it, it talks about, in the old King James, it talks about lust, sin, death. One pastor once termed it the LSD of the Bible. The lust, the sin, and then death. 
That word lust is the same word desires. And many versions will say that once you allow your desires to take over and when you give into your sinful desires or into your lust, what happens is before long, there's sin. And then once we get into sin, sin leads to death or destruction. It leads us down a path. Now, let me remind all of us of something. It is not a sin to be tempted. You guys got that? It's not sinful to be tempted. Jesus Christ himself was tempted in the wilderness. When Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, what does Satan do? He tempts him. And primarily one of the first tests, what is it? It's for food, to try to fulfill his flesh. And you say, well, is it a sin to eat? No, it's not a sin to eat, but it's always a sin to give in to the enemy, to give in to Satan. It wasn't a sin for Jesus necessarily to eat, But it was a sin if Jesus does what the devil tells him to do. Does that make sense? And so what he did was he he said, no, I'm not going to do this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Jesus uses the word. And he refutes him with the word. And that's a whole other message. But Jesus was tempted. And so I want you to be reminded of this, is that we are all going to be tempted. And our flesh still has sinful desires. If you agree with that, somebody please right now, just say, I'll I'll say amen right now. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. Amen. We know that this flesh, the day I accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit came inside of me. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But understand this, this flesh still has the same desires it had before. Okay? Maybe if we have strongholds, those strongholds many times are still there. But over a process of yielding to the Spirit, we can gain victory over these strongholds. But when you accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit came in. But understand this, you still had the same sinful desires and lusts and passions still living and breathing within us and on us. Does that make sense? All right. So... What does this scripture say? What is the key? The key is living in the power of the Spirit. Living a life under self-control. Turn with me or look with me at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I want to just share a couple passages quickly. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Notice what Paul says. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? He says, so run that you may obtain it. I like Paul. Paul ran to win. Amen. And he's talking about the spiritual life, but Paul ran to win. He goes, if somebody's going to win, it's going to be me. Amen. I like him. He says, every athlete, notice this, every athlete uses the illustration of athletics. Running In the moment, he uses the illustration of a, of a boxer, a fighter. And then remember, in the Greco-Roman world, there was what was called wrestling, grappling. He's using the Olympics, what we know as the Olympics. He's using running. He's using grappling and fighting and the struggle as an illustration of what it is to live the Christian life. He says, and by the way, he's writing this to the Corinthians. Think about Corinth and the Corinthians. They knew all about the games. They knew all about the, the Roman games. That's where they, all these Olympics originated. And he says, every athlete exercises 
this. Notice with the exercise, self-control in all things. He says they do it to receive a perishable wreath or a crown. You know, when they would win the race, they'd get a crown. The victor gets the crown. And he uses this analogy, he says an athlete will, will go through tremendous, tremendous self-control to discipline themselves so they can win this prize. He's comparing it to the Christian life. He says, but we, as followers of Christ, but we in an imperishable crown. He says, there's an eternal crown or eternal reward for you. So he says, so, do, so he says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one that beats the air. But I discipline my body. Notice this. I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I'll mention that one a little bit later. That phrase, what, it, what he means to be disqualified. But he says this. He says, I discipline my body. I keep my body under control. He says, I, I, I'm like an athlete. And an athlete, in order to win, they'll, they'll, they'll exercise and they'll train. But also, an athlete will also watch what they eat. They'll be careful what they eat. They'll be careful what they put to their bodies. And so, they're exercising discipline so that they can win the race. So they can win the fight. So, for a wrestler, they can win the match. You know, when someone's training at a high level and someone's competing at a very high level, even the food that they're eating and how they fuel their body is important. And so Paul, he uses this analogy. But he says for the Christian, for you and I as believers, he says we must be living a disciplined life. We need to be careful what we're putting into our, into our spiritual bodies and into our spiritual minds. We could say it like this, garbage in, garbage out. When I first started coaching down in Tucson, Arizona, I had just taken over this team and program, and it was a young program, and there were some new kids on it, newer kids. And I remember we had our very first duel, uh, uh, tri-duel, we were going to wrestle two other teams. And I said, you know, make sure you're eating good stuff. And a number of kids said, well, what should we eat? What should we pack? And I said, now remember, a lot of you guys are cutting weight. You're, you skipped a couple meals, you know, you're not really drinking a lot of fluids, and then now you're going to eat, and then you've got you to gotta compete in one hour. I said, you need some like quick sugar, some quick carbs, drink some Gatorade, some Powerade, some Pedialyte, get a little bit of carbs, maybe a sandwich, something like that. I always liked what was called hot, like hot ramen or hot soup. I'm like, hot soup is great. Get a little bit of carbs. It's, it's, it's not so hard on your stomach. And uh, this one kid, he, said, he loved canes, uh, canes, fried chicken. And uh, he had his parents or somebody bring it to him. And so as soon as he weighed in, he had this Cane's fried chicken. And he, he pulled it out and he goes, hey, coach, look what I have. And I said, bro, you cut, you cut like five, six pounds. You haven't eaten like hardly anything. I said, that is full of grease. That's going to tear your stomach up. I said, you do not want to eat that. And it was like, you know, 10, 12 guys standing around. He goes, and I'll, I'll never forget. He goes, coach, you wait, you watch. He says, coach, just watch. I wrestle amazing on Cane. I said, all right, you do you, you do you, all right. So he ate like three, four pieces of fried chicken, all right, full of grease, drank like a lemonade or something. And so he was like weighing 132, and so he's like about the fourth or fifth match in, and he gets out, then he gets on the mat. First, 
first minute or two, he looks pretty good. He's like winning. He's up like five or six to nothing. By the time he gets to the second period, he's like, he's like leaning over. He can hardly move. Now he's like losing the match. He's starting to lose the match. By the time we got to the third period, I had to pull the trash can out because he ran over to throw up Cain's chicken. And he threw up in the trash can. He went back out and wrestled, threw up in the trash can again, and he Barely made it through the match, and he lost against a kid he should never have lost. He should have won, and he lost. And I said, man, you wrestle amazing on that Cane's chicken. <laughs> I'm like, garbage in, garbage out. You can't fuel your body on grease to go out and perform. Your... And I told the whole team, and I preached at him. Now, there's more to this story. You going to hear the second half of it? I told all of them, you can't do it. Look, case in point. So the whole season... The whole season was a whole joke on fried chicken and you can't wrestle on Kane's chicken and it's a big joke. That year I only had two seniors and that's their senior year. And I had one senior, he's ranked number one in the state. This is not, I'm not making this story up. Ranked number one in the state. He's beat everyone else. He's the one seed at state. We get out there, wrestle the first match, doing amazing, doing great. Wins a match, like wins a second match. We're getting ready in warm-ups. I think it's like quarters or something like that. We're in quarters, and we're out there warming up. And he says, hey, coach. I'll never forget. He says, hey, coach. He says, you know what I just ate? I said, what? He goes, I just ate six chicken fingers. And I laughed. And the other guys warming up who were kind of still wrestling, they laughed. They're like, that's funny, right? He goes, no, no, I'm serious. He goes, I had chicken fingers and french fries. He goes, it tasted so good. I'll never forget it. He was like, tasted so good. And I'm like, bro, are you serious? Like, and I'm like, okay, you do you. Senior year. Ranked number one in state. Wants to get a state title. He's wrestling an unranked kid. A kid who shouldn't even been out there. He gets into a match, gets in there six, seven, eight points. He, he ends up losing like, Eight to zero and is standing like this most of the time. When he got off the mat, he threw up. He lost, had to go to Russell Max. Trained. I was getting up at 5 a.m. working out with him. He's going to the sauna, training twice a day, working out. All this work should have been, listen to me, should have been a state champ. He had to wrestle back and he took third. He like teched the guy in third. And the guy that, the guy that he lost to didn't even medal. He gave up his state title for a few chicken strips and french fries that he could have ate two hours later. Garbage in, garbage out. You say, how, how does this apply to us spiritually? We must discipline our lives in such a way that we are not taking in the garbage of this world. Amen? in protecting our spiritual lives, in protecting our walk with God in such a way that it is not hampered by the garbage of this world. Look at Proverbs 23, 19 through 21. Solomon says this, he says, Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Notice what he says, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. The Bible warns of 
of excess. The Bible warns when we are not demonstrating discipline and self-control. Whether it's that of drunkenness, he mentions gluttony. You know, we could say, speak of drugs and, and all of these type of things. We're going to see here in a moment in Ephesians, the sexual passions and the sexual desires that are so permeated in our society. Porn that is ruining marriages. Porn that is literally twisting the minds of young people and giving them a completely false perspective of what God intended marriage, what God intended sex to be. And it's completely twisting. And by the way, there's plenty of study. It literally rewires the brain. It's addictive. Beyond that, I'm going to go one step farther. We must be careful because social media has now become the new addiction that people cannot even sit through a sermon, a 20-minute, 30- or 40-minute sermon without being so consumed of what's going on on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat that we can't even sit down. And by the way, sometimes I'm just as guilty. Hold a conversation, talk with our family, or have a dinner or a meal together without being completely pulled by that device. Come on now. Where it's controlling us and we're not controlling it. Go ahead and try to leave the house without the phone. Can't do it, can you? (laughs) We can't hardly do it. We literally begin to do this. I got to go back. You'll be willing to be late for work to go back to get your phone because you can't. How many many know exactly? Am I speaking truth? I'm just as guilty. Bunch of liars. Raise your hands. <laughs> Make me feel like the heathen. Okay, well then you get up. Your turn. You get up and preach the sermon then. Pastor Joe, you're so sinful. I remember growing up, and, and I'm going to be as kind as I can, growing up in a church, yes, and they preached against drunkenness, and they preached against drugs, and they preached against all of these things. I remember going off the youth camps. You know, and there'd be these pastors up there, and they'd be preaching against, against basically on discipline and self-control. And please forgive me here, but I remember a number of them. One time, this one pastor was huge. He was massive. He later, he died at a very young age of a heart attack. And he was always, and not trying to be mean, he was always the first guy in the potluck line. And he always had thirds and fourths and fifths. And he was obese. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to hate. But then he would get up and he would preach on discipline and self-control. And he would preach and say, you young people, you need to have control. You shouldn't be out sleeping around and you shouldn't be getting drunk and you shouldn't be doing drugs. And I'm sitting there thinking, and you should push away from the table. I'll just be honest, and it leads to what Paul said, and we'll mention it in a moment, but I had no respect because he had no self-control. He had no discipline. It was easy for him to preach against the areas that everyone else struggled with, but he would never preach against gluttony. By the way, gluttony is in the Bible, and it's just as much a sin as all of the others. Somebody say amen there. Can I say this? You can be thin and still be a glutton. You can be overweight and not be a glutton. Has nothing to do with size. Do you know the idea sometimes we think of gluttony, we think of it as just food or just dessert. But by the way, a glutton, it it, it can apply in in our phones, in our social media. We struggle with this. 
I, I can't do a Bible study, Pastor Joe. I can't commit to doing seven minutes a day. There's four or five pages. I just can't do that Bible study. It's too hard. But I just, but last night I was up till 3 a.m. watching 12 episodes of Cobra Kai. <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, Virgin River. Or whatever your favorite, whatever it is, you know, whatever the new thing. We'll, we'll, listen, we'll binge Netflix all freaking night long. The freaking is Aramaic, okay? We'll, that's in the Aramaic. We will literally binge watch that for hours. We can watch four, five, six hours of football, but we can't spend three minutes in the Word. God help us. Come on now. We've filled our time and our lives with everything else and we don't have time for God. Told you, buckle up, hang on. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 3 through 18. Ephesians 5, 3 through 18. So like an athlete, Paul says in Corinthians, who disciplines his body, keeps himself under self-control, it's so vitally important Notice what Paul says to the church in Ephesians. Again, notice these words. He says, but sexual immorality in all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Let me pause there for a moment. Some versions will say it like this. Let no one make excuses for you. Let no one deceive you with empty words. There is no excuse, he says. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were, you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Man, he's preaching hard here. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He, again, he says it. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What are we filling ourselves with? If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we're not going to be filled with all of these other things. And he warns against sexual immorality and impurity. And he says, and against all of these type things. He says, stay away from it. Run from it. Flee from it. Get away from it. You should be, always be at, under control. Your body should always be under your control and under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't get drunk. But he says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't be filled with both. Amen? 
And the point is, is this, is that understand that we need as God's people to be always under control. Or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But if we're under the influence of other things that cause us to not have good judgment, then it's going to hinder our ability to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. When someone is drunk, can I tell you this? When someone is drunk, they make a lot of poor choices and poor decisions. Correct? When people are under the influence of drugs, they make poor choices and poor decisions. They're not even in control. I've had people close to me, people I love, who would literally come into my own home and take food. They'd stay with us and steal from us because they are so moved and motivated that I have to have this and I don't care about anyone else or anything else because this is all that matters. And so he warns and Paul says, listen, if you're, a, if you're walking in the light, that this should, he says, you, were once, you once lived this way, but not anymore. You're children of light. You see, we should never be under the control of any substance. We should be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Look with me at one more passage. In 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 20. Again, man, Paul, you're like, man, he talks a lot about this. Earlier, Paul mentioned, he says, don't, don't make excuses for your behavior or there are those who will make excuses. You know, somehow in our society or culture, we just think that, well, it's just acceptable, it's just normal, everybody... Is just going to sleep around. That's still not in the Bible. Amen? Somebody say amen. amen. It's still in the Bible. Well, I love this one. Boys will be boys. Somehow we bought this lie that, that our young men and even, young, even girls now are nothing more than just like animals and they have no self-control and they're just going to live like animals. Can I tell you this? The Bible, the scripture does not teach us to live that way as followers of Jesus Christ. Man, I... Whew. Look what Corinthians says. You say... Food for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? His answer is... Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united in the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee or run. Run from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit 
who is in you, whom you have received from God, and you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Do you see why this is so important? Because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, because your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you need to treat it that way. That it is a temple. And that it's sacred. And that it's holy. And so, by the way, as parents, as spiritual leaders, as, as coaches, as, as a church, we need to really be challenging the next generation, our kids and our grandkids. And we need to be encouraging them and challenging them to remind them that their bodies are sacred, that they holy. And listen, people say, well, it's my body, my choice. No, I I, want to make this very clear. Based upon the word of God, it is not your body. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's his body. And the Holy Spirit dwells within you. So what is the purpose of self-control? The purpose of self-control is is that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that we're to be glorifying God in and through and with our bodies. And that we are not to be engaging in things that would be displeasing to God. And the Bible makes it very clear. He gives us many of these things. But it seems as though we are afraid to speak up and speak the truth. That no one wants to discuss these things or bring these things up. But by the way, listen, it's still in the Bible It still needs to be taught. It still needs to be preached. And you know what? We still need to challenge young people. All of us need to be setting in a godly example as well. That our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That was purchased with the very blood of Jesus Christ. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but also the purpose of self-control is this, is that our body is also a testimony. A testimony that is to bring honor and glory to God. Do you remember earlier Paul said this? He said, I keep my body under control. He said, so I am am not disqualified. Some versions will say this so that it's not a castaway. What Paul was saying is this. Is he was using a term that's very familiar in the day and age that he lived. In essence, it's a word that they would use for, for silver or gold or for coins. And he says, I don't want to be a castaway. The idea was this, that there were those who would have counterfeit coins. And once, once discovered, people would say, oh, this is counterfeit. It's not the real thing. And they would toss it. What Paul was saying is this. He says, I want my testimony to be so powerful that, that, that when people see me, they see Christ in me. Amen? He says, but if I don't live a life that's under self-control and discipline, if I live my life the same way that everyone without Christ is living their life, he says, then I'm just a counterfeit. We maybe would say a hypocrite, right? That what they're saying doesn't match up with the way that they're living. You see, understand this. You ready? This is a really cool little saying. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Let that sink in a little bit. Ready? Can you say it with me? Let's see. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Amen? People, 
people hear a whole lot more of what they see in us than what they hear us say. Or we could say it like this, talk is cheap. So the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. The Bible said there, as we were reading, he said the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power, the Holy Spirit power, that lives and dwells within us. Okay? So I finish with this. One, the Holy Spirit has the power to deliver us from sin, from strongholds, from lust, from immorality and sexual sins and and whatever, drugs and drunkenness and alcohol. The Holy Spirit has the power to deliver people from that. And some of you maybe even here can say, yes, I've experienced it. The Lord, through His Spirit, has given me deliverance. Amen? Amen. And I've seen it, and I've I've seen it demonstrated over and over. I have had the privilege to watch God literally transform people's lives. Right now, there's a pastor preaching in Missouri. Uh, His name's Eric Hill. And the first time he walked through our church, he came in one day, walked into a church. I think it was like an evening Bible study or something. He came in. Listen to me. He was so heavily into alcohol, he looked like walking death. His eyes were so yellow. His body was like jaundice. I'm not making this up. His eyes were so yellow. He, listen to me, he was an alcoholic. And he was married and he had a couple, uh, three teenage daughters. And I remember he came in on a Wednesday night. And, uh, and he says, I, I need to get my right, life right with God. And I said, I'll do anything I can to help you. I'll pray for you. Long story short, I'm like, I'm going to go visit this guy. I knew something was real about this. So I went to visit him. And so I went and I, I went and his door was there and I started knocking and I could see him in there and he was moving around and I was knocking and I was knocking. And I was like, I'm just going to keep, some told me don't leave. I'm not normally like this, but I, the Holy Spirit said don't leave. I kept knocking, knocking, knocking. He kept, he took forever and finally came to the door and he welcomed me in. And we visited, we talked and I said, I want to pray with you. And we prayed. Now, I didn't know. I mean, I was just, the Holy Spirit, I knew he was struggling with something. He didn't share with me what he's struggling with yet. About a week later, he said, Pastor Joe, he says, I have to be honest. You know what took me so long when you came and knocked on the door? I said, no. What? He goes, I was hiding all the liquor in the house. I was hiding it in all the cupboards. I had so much liquor. It was everywhere. And he says, and, I, and then he shared with me. He says, I'm a drunk. I'm an alcoholic. And he said, I'm losing my marriage. I'm losing my family. He said, I'm, I'm going to lose my, he basically lost his job. And he said, what happened was he literally lost control of his car, went off the road, and it went like down in between like a pole and something else. He could barely get out of his car. And then the officer came over to him. And the officer found him and he was able to like crawl out of his car. He said, I was literally sitting there on the side of the road. And he said, I was just desperate and said, God, I can't do this. God, I need you in my life. Please help me. Please help me. He thought that he was going to go to jail. Thought he was going to lose his license. The officer said, do you have someone you can call? Do you have someone you can call? So he called his wife. How humiliating that was. Calls his wife and she's like, you need to get help. The officer didn't charge him that day. He said, but I'll wait here until you get a ride home. His wife's like, you need to get help. He tried every program, tried everything that there was to try couldn't get help. And so I said, brother, we need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. I'll never forget this. Like two weeks later, 
He says, will you come to my house today? He says, it's my birthday. I'm like, oh, I didn't know it was your birthday. It was Sunday afternoon. Can you come to my house today? And his wife's like, yes, can you and your family please come? I'm like, okay, sure. I'm like, well, I feel bad. It's your birthday and you're entertained. He goes, no, you don't understand. He says, all of my friends, all my drinking buddies are going to try to come and get me to drink. And I've been a week now without drinking and I don't want to drink and I want to get victory over this. Will you please come to my house? I'm like, sure. And so we're out there grilling on the back and he's grilling. His nickname was Big E. We called him Big E. He's out there grilling, flipping burgers. And sure enough, I'm not making this up. Four guys get out of a car. They grab a keg and they're carrying it on their shoulder over to his house. And they're like, yo, Big E, happy birthday. We're going to get wasted today. And he said, and he just, he hardly even looked up. It was because I knew it was a struggle for him. He hardly looked up. He's like, not today, guys, not today. He's flipping the burgers. He says, I met Jesus. And this here is my pastor. And we're not getting drunk today. We're not drinking. But God bless you guys. Have a great day. And they all kind of look up and they walk away. Can I tell you this? God delivered him from that. Not only did God deliver him from that, God called him into the ministry. He was in did prison ministry for years. He helped many other people. And he's now a pastor of a church in Missouri. God can deliver us from strongholds. Amen. He can. You know, I grew up in church. I grew up hearing the word of God, taking the word of God, trying to apply it. And I'll finish with this, just, this, this thought. As I would have people come, men like that, and speak in my church, and they talk about how God delivered them from, from all their sin, and God delivered them from all of those things. And I remember sitting there going, well, I don't even have a testimony. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, like, well, I kind of went to church. I grew up. I, you know, for overall, pretty good kid. Didn't get into drugs and all that stuff. And I don't really have a testimony. I don't have a story to tell. Can I tell you something? And this is what I think is amazing. The power of the Holy Spirit to keep you from all of that stuff. Because that is filled with a lot of baggage and a lot of bondage and a lot of struggles. I can tell you this, by God's grace, has nothing to do with me. By God's grace, I have never smoked a cigarette. I have never gotten drunk. I don't even drink, never drank. Can't stand the smell of it. That's your business. I can't stand the smell of it. Never drank, never smoked, never chewed. Can I tell you this? By God's grace, the only person I ever kissed other than family members is my wife. I didn't sleep around. I waited till the day I got married. And you want to know something? I'm thankful for it, and that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Listen, and I please understand this. This is not about bragging. What I'm trying to say is this, is that, yes, I struggled through high school when people were offering alcohol and beer. And I was like, no, I'm not going to go down that path. That wasn't for me. I'm under eight, and I'm not going to do that. And I don't want, and I had alcohol in, the, in our family. My grandparents, both my grandfathers were alcoholics. And I saw the damage that it did. But the Holy Spirit governed me. Listen to me, I played sports in high school sports and in college in sports. And I'm going to tell you yes, immorality is all around you. Yes. 
Yes, everyone was everyone else was doing it, but the Holy Spirit can give you the ability to stand strong and stand stand firm and you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. And I stand here today not because I have anything that about me. All I'm saying is this is that the Holy Spirit gave me the ability to refrain from that type of lifestyle. All glory to God. And it's by his grace each day that we continue because the battle is not over. You want to know something? There's still, there's still temptation every single day. Are you with me this morning? There's still temptation every single day. But the Holy Spirit enables us and empowers us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can give you the power to overcome temptation. And all God's people said, to live a life of victory, to live a life with self-control. And when people see that we're demonstrating this kind of life, they say there's something different about them. And you know what's different about us? It's not us. It's him. Amen? All glory to God. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we 